Good morning, everybody. As I said earlier, it's nice to have everyone together again uh, to worship God following the storm. It's just something about focusing our hearts and minds together to just put the chaos and distraction and the broken things of this world to the side, to, uh, to unite ourselves as a congregation before the Lord. So I'm thankful that uh, we are together again this morning. But right now, if you were actually in our home instead of here, you would see that our home has been taken over by Legos. There are Legos everywhere. It, it, you, you, you lift a cushion, there are Legos there. Underneath the, the kitchen table, no matter how much we clean, somehow there, is still, there are still Legos hidden under the table. I don't know how they can... Well, I, I know how. Uh, it's the four small children that are lovingly terrorizing us with Legos. But our home is being taken over with Legos. Even during the storm, we were able to, to calm the children for a while by, by building a Lego home uh, which has since been destroyed and put that back together several times. Uh, but there are Legos everywhere. We even have Lego video games. We have Lego Star Wars and Lego Marvel superheroes, and uh, everything seems to be centered around Legos right now. In fact, when the kids have their cartoon time and take control of Netflix, usually the first option they go to is a Lego show called Ninjago, which is Lego ninjas, masters of spinjitsu. So I'm going to quiz you on this later. I hope you remember that. But it's funny because one, and this is where this ties in, because one of the ninjas actually reminded me of this passage this morning because one of the ninjas was trying to unlock his true potential. And there's the, this, uh, the white ninja, Zane, uh, had no memory of who he was before he came together with everyone else. And in this one particular episode that we were watching together, he ends up finding his old home and discovers, spoiler alert, that he is actually an android. I know, big shock, Right? But he was created for the intent and purpose of protecting those who cannot protect themselves. And once he was able to discover who he was and who he was made to be, he was, this character in the show was able to unlock his true potential and he got really cool ninja powers, which that doesn't apply to us. But, but what does apply because you and I are not cartoon characters, the warning is do not forget who you are and who you were made to be. That is the message that applies to us. And that is the, the warning that the author of Hebrews is giving to the congregation in this chapter. Do not forget who you are. Do not forget who you were made to be. And in fact, I would... I would argue that the point of this chapter, of Hebrews chapter 2, is that every believer should live as a holy child of God. And you might be thinking after we, we read through that, that, well, I don't exactly see that in there. And we'll, we'll get to that point. We'll unpack that. But what he does call us to is to pay attention to what God has done. And what God has done is that He has made Jesus 
And through Jesus, you, greater than the angels, because he has made you his child. And the author of Hebrews unpacks this in three specific areas. In God's message in verses 1 through 4, he unpacks this through God's message. In verses 5 through 13, God's control. That's God's control in verses 5 through 13. And in verses 14 through 18, in God's help. Again, that's God's help in verses 14 through 18. Before we go any further, let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You. God, we thank You because You you have given us Your Word. You speak to us through Your Word. That this was not just something written generations ago that no longer applies, but that You are still living and active and speak to us today through Your Word. And so, God, I pray that You would be here with us now. Pour out Your Spirit in this place. Speak to us through Your Word. God, use me to communicate Your Gospel truth. Don't let this just be my thoughts, my ramblings. Don't let this be a collection of stories. But God, use me for Your kingdom work to proclaim Your Gospel and to bring Your people before the throne. I pray in the holy name of Jesus. Amen. All right, for those of you who might have missed last week or just need a brief recap, again, the, the letter of Hebrews uh, has an unknown author. We do not exactly know who wrote the letter, and we're not entirely sure exactly where the letter was going. The only thing we actually know about the recipients of the letter was that they were Hebrews. We know that they were uh, Hebrew believers, and so they were Jewish converts to the Christian faith. Uh, and, and unlike the other letters, that the letter to the Hebrews is actually a, a, more like a brief collection of sermonettes that almost every chapter or a couple of chapters is a, a, another sermon that they just flow together. Uh, but the overall theme, and I, I mentioned this last week, Uh, from a theologian named Donald Guthrie. The overall theme is that the past has given way to better things. And we looked at that last week and how God used to communicate to His people, but it is now better because He gave His Son. He spoke to us through Jesus Christ. And chapter 2 opens up with an emphatic, don't forget that. So he's pointing believers to remember our first point, God's message. So look at verse 1. He opens by saying, Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. He spent the entire first chapter uh, describing how God used to communicate, uh, but how now we can know God better because He didn't just communicate to His people through messengers or through prophets, but He spoke to us through His Son, God in the flesh. That God used to use messengers, but now He has used His Son. And in light of all of that, the author is saying, pay closer attention. With a warning, why do we have to pay closer attention? Because you and I are in danger of drifting away 
if we do not. I don't know if any of you noticed, but we actually had a little bit of stormy weather this past week. But the warning that he is giving here is is like preparing for a hurricane and getting all of your supplies and all of your prep work done. And then when you hear that it's not making direct landfall and it's going to stay off coast, be like, all right, well, I don't need to follow it anymore. It's like saying, I'm okay now. No, that you still need to pay attention because it is still a massive storm and it can still cause damage. You still need to care for your family and for your home and the things that God has entrusted to you. There's still a hurricane, not now, but at the time. But the warning is don't begin the work, receive good news, and then pretend that everything is okay and that you don't need to pay attention. Don't go around driving Jeeps on the beach the day before a hurricane. The author is saying, pay closer attention. He goes on in verse 2, For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. The message that God sent through His angels and through His prophets, through the former means, proved to be reliable and trustworthy. It wasn't a collection of philosophies. It wasn't just good advice. It was a message from God Himself to His people, and it was reliable. That message included the news that there is a punishment and a penalty for the transgression of sins. And that punishment is not... Uh, an overexertion of authority, but it is a just retribution. And so how can we neglect the message that God has given? And so the warning that the author is giving, he's saying don't be lazy. Do not neglect the gospel and be lazy with the message that God has given it was declared. Uh, it was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. The message throughout the Old Testament, the message that the prophets would give to the people was thus saith Yahweh, the covenant God of Israel, this is the message from God. Repent and turn back to Him. Turn away from false idols. Turn away from things that do not give life and turn back to the living God. Repent, for the Lord is coming. Then when the Son came, Jesus in the flesh, Jesus Himself says, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. The message was no longer repent for the Lord is coming, but repent for the kingdom of God is now here. The message is that there is a 
penalty for, the, for sin, that, there is, uh, that, that you and I are transgressor, transgressors against a holy God. Turn from sin, turn back to God. And God has always told his penalty, that, God has always told his people that there is a penalty for sin, and that penalty is death, the shedding of blood. And that's why Israel had a sacrificial system, because it was that blood to make payment toward the, the weight and penalty of their sin. That blood was meant to cover them. And so God said, turn from your sin, repent, turn back to the Lord. And as we see throughout the New Testament, that as the believers would go and spread the gospel of Christ, that God would equip his messengers with signs and gifts and miracles to attest that there is validity and truth to the message that they are bearing. These gifts were not so that they could be New Testament superheroes, but so they could go and say, see these miracles? The God who has made this possible is telling you to repent and turn back to Him. The kingdom of God is at hand. God bore witness and gave validity and attested to the messengers of His gospel. And so the author is saying to the believers then and to you and I today, do not neglect this message that God Himself has affirmed. You might have prayed the prayer when you were a child. When you were seven years old, you might have knelt beside your bed and, and prayed a prayer. You may have even walked an aisle as a child. But I hope that that is not the end of your faith, that that is not the end of your spiritual life and growth. Because if there is no fruit to show that God and the gospel has taken root in your soul, the question has to be asked, did you really receive God's message? You can recite prayers, you can walk an aisle, but if there is not fruit to validate that spiritual growth, did you re really receive the message? So the author is saying, do not neglect the message of God. And to us today, he might even say, do not neglect the message of God just because you prayed a prayer or walked an aisle, but pay closer attention now, lest you drift away. And while the author is calling you to pay closer attention to God's message, the good news that he reveals is that you can trust in God's control. Picking up in verse 5, Now it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. The angels were never created to rule this world. They were never created to have the earth and all of creation subject to their authority. The angels were created as messengers. The angels are created to be holy worshipers and servants and message bearers. They were never created to have authority over creation. It has been testified somewhere 
And this somewhere that the author is quoting is from Psalm 8, verses 4 through 6. What is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. The author says in verse 8 that nothing was left outside of his control, namely Jesus, because Christ has been given authority over all things, all people, all governments, all weather, all planetary and universal systems are under the authority and control of the Son of God. And yet we do not yet see everything in subjection to Him. He has authority over all these things, but the destruction of sin continues to rebel against a holy God. We still see bad things happening within creation. We see people churning from holiness. We see people churning from God. We see people hurting other people. We see corrupt governments. We see hurricanes and tornadoes and earthquakes. We see divorce and cancer and death because the destruction of sin continues to rebel against the authority of a holy God. And in verse 9, but we see Him, Christ, the Son of God, in the flesh for a little while was made lower than the angels. Not that He lost His holiness, not that, not that He gave up His deity and His godhood, but that by taking on flesh, He in His physical form was lower than the angels so that He could taste death for everyone. So that He could suffer like you have suffered. So He could feel sorrow and pain and struggle to remind you that you are not alone in your hurt. You are not alone in your sorrow because God in the flesh tasted the same struggles and pains. He has felt sorrow. He has been rejected. He has been beaten. And He died. He suffered these things to share in your struggles as well. For it was fitting that He, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. This, the Creator God, the, the lawgiver Himself, still has authority over sin. He doesn't just do away with the penalty. 
He doesn't just say, well, I know you guys sinned and I, that's bad, but I'm just going to let you into heaven anyway. No, there still had to be a penalty and a punishment for sin because if there were not, then he could not be just. He could not be holy. He could not be the eternal judge if he just ignored sin. And so he submits sin to his authority by sending his son God in the flesh to take the punishment and penalty for sin on your behalf. This Son of God in the flesh who suffered and died and was buried did so on your behalf. For He who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why He is not ashamed to call them brothers saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Believers are not going through some sort of eternal experimental process that God is saying, well, I hope this sticks. But believers are going through a process that God Himself went through. Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, suffered and died and rose again so you could have resurrection, so you could be sanctified and purified and made holy. That you are going through the same process that Jesus Himself went through so you could be sanctified. That Jesus Christ put on flesh. And though He was sinless, He took sin upon Himself to bear the payment and the weight that you could not. And in doing so, became the perfect eternal sacrifice. That He does not die over and over and over and over again on the cross, but He died one time for the penalty for all sin. And He took your payment upon Himself to give you His holiness and His righteousness so that you may be sanctified. When the author quotes Psalm 22 and Isaiah 8 in these passages, his confidence comes through Christ and the knowledge that Christ put on flesh to suffer so He could know how you have suffered. So He could make you holy through Himself and call you His brother. Brothers and sisters united and sanctified through Jesus Christ. In Romans 8, Paul is describing how the work of Jesus doesn't just justify. It doesn't just take away the penalty for your sin and give you righteousness, but it brings you into God's family. In Romans 8, 14-17, Paul writes, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. 
The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. The author of Hebrews is saying that Christ is not ashamed to call you His brother because His work cleared your sin and made you holy. And you have been adopted that you are made a child of the eternal living God. And is that how you see yourself? When you look at the mirror, do you look, do you look and see a child of God looking back at you? Because I'll be completely honest, I struggle with that. I know logically, and in, in up here, I know all the, the theology and the doctrine that God has redeemed me and called me His child, but there are days where that information struggles to go from my head to my heart. And I struggle with remembering that I have been made a child, a holy child of the living God. And if you saw yourself as a holy child of God, how would that change the way that you lived your life? How would that change the way that you even viewed and talked about yourself? How would that change the way that you approach the struggle with sin? Because you have been redeemed from that slavery. You have been taken out of that. How would remembering your holy status as a child of God affect the sin that tries to tangle your heart? How would it change the way that you love the people around you? Not just the people that are nice to you, but how would you love the unlovable if you remembered that you are a holy child of God? If, if that took root and truly sank in, how would that change the way that you forgave the people that have wounded you? If you truly believed and rested in your status as a holy child of God, how would that change your life? The author has shown us that the weight of God's message cannot be neglected and that you can rest within God's control. But he also shows us that true hope is found in God's help. Picking up in verse 14. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through the fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. That God the Son put on flesh to share in your struggle and to bring you victory over a real enemy. Satan, the devil, is not just some boogeyman that, that someone made up to scare you into church to say, well, watch out, the devil's going to get you. But there is a real enemy seeking to destroy and devour God's people. 
and that in Jesus' humiliation and victory, he has given you victory over a very real enemy and set you free from slavery to sin. Because you were born into sin. You were born into that slavery. Not physical chains, but a spiritual bondage. And Jesus Christ has set you free. That without God, that there is no righteousness, but that with Christ, you may truly know righteousness. Picking up in verse 16. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. That the death of Christ does not save angels. It saves people. It saves mankind. The victory of Christ brings you in to God's family and makes you the offspring of Abraham. That even though you and I, scripturally speaking, are Gentiles, that we are brought into the true Israel, that we have been grafted in. And Paul says in Galatians 3.29 that if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise the covenant promise that God made to Abraham in Genesis 17 now includes you. Because God doesn't save angels. God saves His people. And I have to admit a brief moment of frustration because in our culture there is this mixture of poor theology and this romanticism of of heavenly things. But so many times I've heard people say whenever a loved one has passed away, something along the lines of, well, Uncle Jim has gained his wings. Or heaven has another angel today. And I know that's a beautiful thing to think, but you will never find that type of thinking in Scripture. Because that is a low view of what Christ has accomplished and a poor understanding of what God has made you to be. Jesus didn't die to make you an angel. His death and resurrection does not make you a heavenly messenger. His death and resurrection has made you a child of God. That through the resurrection of Christ that you are actually made higher than the angels. Because you were brought into the covenant family of the eternal God Himself. And so if, if you have yourself have said something like that, I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to mock you. I'm not trying to belittle the way that you have loved your family member. I don't want to, to convey that at all. But I, what, what I do want to say is that the death, of re, or the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ does so much more then give someone wings when they die. But it takes someone who was once a slave to sin and dead in their trespasses and makes them not just alive, but a living, holy child of God. And so, uh, I want you to remember that Jesus did not make you an angel 
but he has made you a child of God. Picking up in verse 17. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Jesus became like you and me to suffer like you have suffered, to to feel pain like you have felt, to struggle like you have struggled, to be tempted like you have been tempted. And in the process, he has become not just the perfect sacrifice, but the perfect priest interceding on your behalf to God the Father. That he is both the sacrifice and the priest. And in the process, the the author says that, that Jesus has made propitiation for your sins, that the weight and the weight of your sin deserves punishment. It deserves the wrath of God, but the sacrifice of Jesus churns that wrath away. That is what propitiation means is uh, if this helps the word to stick like a propeller churning, that the work of Christ churns God's wrath away. As your priest, Jesus is interceding on your behalf. He made propitiation and turned away God's wrath, and He has suffered temptation to help you in your temptation. And that is your hope. That is why you should live your life as a holy child of God because you are not trying and desperately hoping to earn God's favor. You're you're not trying to make such a name or status for yourself that if I can just be good enough, if I can be successful enough, then God will love me. He will forgive me and spare me. But no, that favor and that love and that affection was given to you first so that you may live out the life as a holy child of God. The death and resurrection of Christ defeated sin and freed you from the bondage of slavery. It doesn't make you an angel, but it makes you higher than an angel, a holy child of God. And His death turned away God's wrath. And He is your help in temptation. As I opened this sermon, I mentioned a Lego ninja who found his true potential when he remembered who he was and who he was created to be. And like that Lego ninja, your potential, your holiness, your status is not found in being good enough, but remembering who you have been made to be that you are no longer a slave, but you have been redeemed by the blood of Christ, and that when God looks at you, He sees a holy child of God. So as we finish, I want to ask you, how will you choose to live? 
Will you ignore the message that God has given to His people for generations? The message, repent and turn back to God. Fearing your lack of control over this created world and desperately hoping to make a name and status for yourself, to save yourself by your own efforts? Or will you remember Not neglect, but remember God's message to His people and trust in His control and find your hope in what Jesus Christ has done on your behalf. That you have been redeemed from the bondage of sin and made higher than the angels and that you have been called a child of God. How will you choose to live? Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, God, we confess that far too often we forget the goodness of Your message. We forget that that we were born into sin and destruction and that Jesus Christ set us free and has made us Your children. God, we confess that far too often that escapes us. And so, God, I pray that we would turn back to the message that you have given. That we would return to the gospel and preach the gospel to our own hearts daily. That we would remember that Jesus Christ has given us freedom and life eternal and has made us your children. Let us live and holiness and thankfulness as we remember that we are your children. And we pray this in the holy and precious name of Jesus. Amen.